Hey, 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 welcome into Out of Bounds with your host, Todd Fox, and Carlos, the narrator for this episode. In the first episode, you heard about Donnie Moore. In the second episode, this is new to me. And uh, so I will be hearing this with you, the listener, for the first time. Carlos has a story he has prepared to read and to uh, tell. So uh, he's done a lot of research. So I look forward to hearing what this one's about. And before we do, real quick, uh, we are brought to you in part by Anchor.com, which is our host uh, medium for the podcast. So if you're listening to it, you're likely it's on Anchor or it might be on Google Play or as well as iTunes. So we are on a few mediums right now. We're getting started. So episode number two, Carlos, take it away. All right. Thanks for the introduction, Todd. You're you're always great at doing those. Um, A lot better than myself. Um, this one, it's it's gonna be interesting, confusing, um, a little bit of everything. Um, I know it caught me off guard when I first came across it. Um, this one, this one starts off in uh, in a small town called Mount Olive, Mississippi. Now, I didn't know where that was at. I had a Google search where that was at, and uh, it's a really small town. It's only got 900 in 2010. Um, I tried finding out um, how many people were living in the town at the time of this individual's uh, birth, and I couldn't find it. The the furthest I could find is uh, 2010, and at that time there was only uh, 982 residents. Damn, that's a small town. Yeah, that's in Mississippi. That's uh, real close to the Louisiana Mississippi uh, border. Okay. Um, I guess I can give you his name. His name he went by a nickname, uh, Steve Air McNair. Ooh. Yeah. This, keep in mind, this one's gonna be interesting. You're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over his, uh, the, everything that I could find about him, like um, all the research that I did. Obviously, um, you're gonna, you're gonna have a lot of questions probably uh, boiling in your head. I might not be able to answer them because I have questions that I still don't have answers for in this, uh, in this lifetime, for Steve McNair's lifetime. But Steve McNair. Um, he was born in a small town called Mount uh, Mount Olive, Mississippi. Like I said, close to the Louisiana-Mississippi border. And there was 982 residents in 2010. You can only imagine how little that town was. I live in Toledo and it's a small city, but it's bigger than that. And I can only imagine um, all the stuff that you can't do in that town. So I'm thankful to live in Toledo right now. We're after reading this right here. Um, McNair was raised in a small in a small tin roofed house. Basically, a small tin. Do you know what a, t- uh, a tin roofed house is, Tom? Yeah, it's sort of like um, what do you call it? It's like the metal type siding, but it's on the roof of the the house. So, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really small. It's like a wooden shed with the with the tin with the like aluminum uh, ceiling. That's got to be uh, freaking hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's in the south. Oof. With four brothers, a mom, and I didn't. It didn't say anything about the dad when I tried finding out information about the family. But he's got four older brothers, or he's got four brothers, I should say. Um, so if it's a really small, small city, small house, he's used to being in the tight spaces. So McNair, that's just a little bit about him growing up. And then uh, McNair at an early age, we're fast forwarding. He was born in uh, February 14, 1973, and we're fast forwarding to his time in high school. Okay. Um, in 1987, McNair showed signs of promise for the future. McNair attended the town's high school, obviously. That's where he lived, in Mount Olive, Mississippi, where he dominated in four sports. 
baseball, basketball, track, and of course football. Oh, he was in the baseball. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was in the baseball. I was surprised in that one too. Um, he, so he 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 had everything going for him. He was uh, he was a four four sport athlete in um, high school, and then uh, as a junior in high school, he led uh, he he led uh, Mount Olive Pirates to a state championship where they where he played free safety, and he had 15 interceptions that uh, junior year. And then that, um, that boosted him up to a total of 30 interceptions in his high school years. And that tied him with Terrell Buckley, if you remember who Terrell Buckley was. One of the shortest corners in football, but he was pretty damn athletic. Yep, he tied him uh, for most interceptions uh, in high school for like small schools and all that. Mm-hmm. But he was like, he was showing signs that he, he was a multi-star uh, athlete, multi, he was just gifted. And uh, Terrell, a little little note about Terrell Buckley. He was drafted by Green Bay in 1992, um, first round, mm-hmm. picking five. But then he went on. And Terrell Buckley went on and played for several teams. Too many to name. Um, and Terrell Buckley played in. Uh, I'm a butcher this one. Pasagola High School. Okay. Okay. And then um, when his time came up in, uh, so basically he just dominated in high school. He made a name for himself. And then he had Florida University wanted him. They they wanted him to attend uh, Florida University as a running back. So Steve McNair, yeah, go figure, huh? Imagine if he would have taken that offer and become became a running back, Steve McNair. Like everybody knows about Steve McNair, but. Mm-hmm. Good thing he didn't, and he can also play defense. Um, and let's see. So Steve McNair denied uh, Florida University a much bigger university, school, college for uh, for his future, because if he would have went to Florida University, he would have been uh, more recognized, obviously because of the big uh, big university name and all that, big fancy school. So he decided he declined that offer, and he stuck to um, he went to Alcorn State. And me doing research on the internet at the time when the stories were uh, brought up about Steve McNair, um, for whatever reason, they always had to mention that that's a predominantly all-black school or is an all-black school for it. And nowadays, it's like, okay, he went to a all-black school, but it's a big deal, so I just got to throw it out there. Yeah, Alcorn State is a what? Is it Division Two or Three? Division Two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, I- yeah, it's Division Two. And then uh, before, hold on, before uh, I, I forgot this one, um, he stayed. He stayed as he could have. He could have easily uh, gotten drafted as a senior um, into the NFL because he had the age and all that. Um, but he stayed in uh, in high school to compete against guys that were going in the NFL draft in 1994 NFL draft, the year that um, that McNair was going to be eligible as a senior or as after his senior year. But he decided to stay in high school. And the names that he was going to go up against in the NFL draft from 1994 were, get this, Trent Delfer and Heath Suller, if you know who those guys are. Oh, Heath Schuler, yeah. Heath Schuler, yeah, yeah. So those were the names, huh? Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. The Heath Schuler was a huge bust, dude. <laughs> those, so those were the two names that everybody kept bringing up. Like, oh, you're gonna have to climb over these mountains. That those two guys gotta. Those are gonna be like the top two quarterbacks over McNair and all that. So you gotta stay in school. So McNair was like, okay. So then McNair, wait until you get. Wait until we get to his stats that he uh, that he dropped in uh, in uh, in his time in school. I want to say in. Uh, in college, in college. Wait until you see what his uh, numbers were. Okay. So there's that right there. And uh, 
Well, at this time, it's Alcorn, at Alcorn State in uh, Division Division Two, One A, One Double A. Won the Walter Payton Award in 1994. That was his senior year. Sent unrealistic video game numbers. As a senior, McNair put up, get this, 6281, 6,281 total yards. 904 of those were rushing, and 5,377 5, were passing yards. With yeah. only, with only, get this, 56 touchdowns only 56 touchdowns he won the all-american award the walter payton award and finished third in heisman that year uh, he was a runner-up third in heisman uh selections so mcnair was ready to go and take his talents to the nfl and he was about to journey into a dream life but a very sad ending mcnair drafted by the houston oilers in the first round with the third pick of the 1995 draft as a quarterback for 13 seasons with three teams, the Oilers, Titans, and Ravens, McNair has an outstanding pro resume. Three time, he was a three-time pro bowler. He was a second-team all-pro. He was an NFL MVP, co-MVP with uh, Peyton Manning in 2003. He added the passer rating. He was a passing rating leader in that same year, and he got his jersey retired in Tennessee. Yep. And then... And he also that he also led his team to the Super Bowl, which is massive. He also he was also uh, the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans that same year in 1999 when they were in the wild card, and they took the Buffalo Bills down in the Music City Miracle that same year that they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, didn't they? Um, <clears throat> they just fell a couple yards short of the of the of tying the Super Bowl, right? It was they, like yeah. they were going to tie the Rams, right? Yeah, took the t- took the Tennessee Titans. Steve McNair took the Tennessee Titans as a wild card through Buffalo, got the Music City Miracle going, and then in the Super Bowl when they met up with the St. Louis Rams at the times, at the time took them up against the the Rams, and they were just one and a half, like I want to say one and a half yards short or one yard short of going into the first ever overtime in Super Bowl history. Yeah, that was a crazy game, and I, I remember. Um... Well, that was a t- that was a really good team. I forget who their their main stars were on defense, but I remember Eddie George and McNair were just a dynamic duo, man. Like Eddie George would pound the rock, and McNair would either run it or throw deep. I mean, he he had an accurate arm. At that time, I was just like in my baby steps of uh, keeping with like football and all that, and I just remember that um, I want to say Javon Curse was on that team. Yes, that's right. Javon Curse was. Javon Kurz, I don't think Albert Hainsworth was with them at the time, but yeah, they had a they had to have a, a really dominant defense uh, to get to the Super Bowl. But he had, like I said, the co MVP in two thousand three, passer rating in two thousand three, king of the of the passer ratings. Jersey retired after he reti- after you know his passing and all that. Mm-hmm. Second team took his team one yard away from um, the first ever overtime in Super Bowl history, and then. He also signed at the time, which was the the biggest deal, the biggest record signing deal in NFL history for a quarterback. It was a six-year, $50 million contract. McNair had an awesome, awesome life on the gridiron that lasted up until 2008. Wow. So while McNair was uh, taking off in the NFL and making a name for himself and becoming a worldwide name, household name however you want to look at it he married his wife this this is a now we're getting into his personal life we just went over like most of his achievements um so back going back into 1997 he married his wife um and mcnair before he got married he had two kids so he brought two kids along with them to that marriage um 
and McNair would eventually rent out a condo close to. So he was married in 1997. So that's just where when he got married and he had his two kids before marriage. And then um, he was living a good life, married man. Um, his wife was supportive of him. And so after he retired in 2008, in 2008, he uh, he then went back into Tennessee because remember he went to uh, Baltimore and played there. Yeah. Then he went back to Tennessee because he loved this. He loved the town. He loved that um, that state. So when he went back, he rented out a condo close to Nissan Stadium away from his wife and his kids. So he was leaving. He started showing signs. Um, so he had his condo and his wife and his kids didn't know anything about that condo. They just thought that he was out um, doing business moves because he eventually opened up uh, a restaurant, um, a catfish grill. Um, all in all close to the Titans Nissan Stadium. So when he rented out this uh, this condo, he basically turned it into a bachelor bachelor pad. And the address on that place, in case anybody wants to Google search that, is 105 Leah Avenue, Nashville, Tennessee. It's a condo, and I want to say it's condo number four, number five. Okay. But here's the tricky part. The condo wasn't in McNair's name. It wasn't his uh his friend's name, the guy that owned uh, the condos. He just said that he would pay the, the, the lease or the, the rent, whatever they worked out. So that way he wouldn't get caught up by his wife and his kids and all that. So when taxes and all that came around, so he kept, he kept it. Um, he, he was living a second life. And then McNair had his catfish grill. He opened that up and he was running this smooth at the time. And then here's where... Uh, is uh, McNair's life takes a turn for the worse, where he thought it was a t- he was uh, actually doing good for himself. Enter Sahel. Her name is Sahel Kazemi. She was 19 years old at the time. She uh, before she went to Nashville, she moved from Iran into uh, Jacksonville, Florida. I want to say it was definitely Florida. And her boyfriend at the time that brought her over to the states, his name was Keith Norfley. I just remember Keith Norfley. It's at towards the at the at the end. I'll bring him back up. Okay. So then, so then Saheli and so Saheli Kazemi um, was a server at a bar at a Dave and Buster's. That's where when she, they moved from uh, Florida to Nashville, she became a server at um, Nashville for Dave and Buster's. So McNair's career was over right now at this point. So he's like in his upper thirties. Yes, 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 yes. That's okay, one thing so. I, should, I forgot to mention. So, the, so then, no, I was just asking because. Um, you said he finished out. I remember Baltimore was at the end of his career. And so then if he finished there and he's having problems, so his family didn't know about the condo and now he's going to about to meet this chick from Iran. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. So then this day, what's that? I was just saying, I didn't know all that. <laughs> Sorry. I, was I know. Saying. I know. I was, I was, as soon as it, like, I, I was surprised myself when I found out that this was about to happen. Um, and the Dave and Buster's that Steve McNair went to, that's where uh, Sahel Kazemi um, was working at. And that one is well known by a lot of athletes. That's the one that uh, just about every athlete that's in town goes to. So no surprise, uh, Steve McNair um, started talking to her and Sahel, she ignored that Steve McNair had a, had a wedding ring on. She just completely flat out ignored that he was married, did not care. She was like, she slipped him his number or her number. Um, in December of 2008, 2008, December 2008. Okay. And then eventually after that, Steve McNair caved in. 
he started uh, messing around. He already had his bachelor pad going. So he was out on a move. He was fishing for, he was out fishing for a new lady. For some strange. Yes, he was out <laughs> risking the biscuit. Wow. So after after they exchanged phone numbers, McNair would eventually start to play the sugar daddy role and bought Sahel Kazemi, right? He bought Sahel Kazemi a brand new Cadillac Escalade. Damn. For I know at the time, even right now, like if you think about it, a brand new Cadillac Escalade, how much is one of those right now? It's still the same back then in 2008. Like it's an expensive vehicle. Yeah, they're between 50 and 70 grand. Yeah, no matter what year you're in, even back in the 90s, those are just expensive no matter what year you're in. Yeah, because they're always luxury. They're the luxury SUV. It's basically. Yeah. So he's uh, he's doing all the right things to please this chick, uh, Sahil Kazemi. So he bought her a brand new Cadillac Escalade for her birthday, her 20th birthday, because remember, they met when she was 19. Yeah. In May of that year. So that was her. that's when uh, Sahil's birthday is on May. So they would eventually graduate to a full-out affair as they would go out on vacations, dates. So anytime that like McNair would go out like against other teams or not, he already retired. Whenever he would go out out of town and all that, he would uh, take her with him. So they were out just living the life, you know, just romance, anything you could possibly think of, going out on dates and, you know, loving life. So he was still with his wife, but he's just playing the, like you said, the sugar daddy role. I mean, that's that's hard to do, juggling two relationships like that, man, because one thing to have a hit it and quit it or a yeah. or a um, chick on the side. But if you're fully supporting that chick and you're realistically dating that chick, man, it's a big time conflict of interest. Right. And he's got kids, too. Don't forget about that. So how well, can he get right. away from it? His kids. I think that his kids were like teenagers at the time so they're, they're, his kids had to know something was going on but i can't find no information about his actual personal uh his like his wife and his kids while this was going on it was it, it's just crazy that's just one of the questions that i like i'm wondering like how did nobody pick up on it but him owning a business and uh him having all this money and being able to make a purchase like how did his wife not catch up to that like how did she not catch on to that i should say well maybe he just got into a pattern where she really believed him and he was really good at keeping it uh, quiet i mean i don't know i mean money talks too in relationships man i mean like even if you're not showing the love if you've got the money and she's still getting the checks and nothing's going wrong there he's providing for the kids whether he's there or not maybe she's just like well you know he's a busy guy you know he's maybe he's trying to get his second career going i don't know yeah how does this make you how does this make you view mcnair so far now that you know that uh that he was this type of person outside of the outside of the football fields i think this would shock me a few years ago i mean it shocks me now because i didn't know this side of it Mm -hmm. because i knew very little if at all about mcnair's case i just knew Mm -hmm. the you know who he was as a football player so hearing this extracurricular stuff it kind of reminds me of a few other athletes that were known to be that kind of like well i've got kids but you know i support this chick over here because i got kids with her or i love her or i'm she's my side piece or when i'm in this state i you know because athletes will do that they'll have several chicks and that's why when they get to their 40s man they're out, almost out of money because they're too busy paying out to everybody um man you're yeah it's crazy the way you just thought all, thought all that out but yeah um 
And you would think eventually, man, like I said, uh, somebody would eventually pick up on McNair um, doing all this side stuff away mm -hmm. from his wife and his kids, right? Well, get this, after like they were doing all these vacations and dates and everything that you could possibly think of that a normal couple does, get this, Steve McNair started introducing, he introduced Sahel uh, to his actual family, like his mom, his dad, and his brothers <laughs> while he was married. Dude, got, dude's got some balls, man. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> When I found when I like when I was listening and when I hit, like uh, reading up on this on this guy's story on his life, I was like, all right. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, this is a story that I got to pick up on. So he introduced McNair introduced a hill to uh, his family, his mom, his dad, his brothers, and everybody else that you could think of that was close to him. So then Sahil gets big headed, and then she starts telling all her friends and family that McNair is going to divorce his wife to start uh, to get married to Sahil. So she started getting these ideas like, wow, everything's going smooth. He's about to leave this lady for me. And, you know, she started feeling like she was flattered. She was just happy. She was on top of the world. And, you know, she was seeing stars and, you know, she was just loving life mm -hmm. into that. So she was head over heels for McNair um, because he was about to divorce her. Mm -hmm. But then in that same month, in that same month, I don't know how much was going on in that month of May of 2000, uh, 2008. Or just May and yeah, it was 2008. Um, so hell, as she was going up to the condo to to do whatever she was doing, she discovered that there was another woman no. leaving that same condo. So that's mistress number two. Oh. <laughs> same condo, same condo. So yeah, I would have been like, you know what? Let's just play this safe. I'm gonna get a condo on the other side of town. <laughs> McNair was not messing around. He was all about getting his, man. Jeez. So then her name is Leah. I got her name right here. Where is it? Leah Ignagni. So McNair had a thing for international woman. Sounds like it. Leah Ignagni. So then she was leaving um, the condo and then uh, this triggered, this triggered, um, Sahil, this triggers Sahil's dark side. Sahil started showing dangerous uh, vibes and signs and personality. Like she was just uh, turning upside down. Her world was turning upside down because she thought that she was the, the only chick and she thought she was about to get married to McNair. But now this raised questions in her mind about McNair and the future. So now she started getting in her, in her demon bag and she started getting real, real evil minded. Mm. So she started stalking. She started stalking uh, Leah. So she started showing signs. Um, that you know you got to look out for and so she started stalking her she even started parking by uh leah's residence and she started like following her every move so she was losing sleep so she was just like out to basically kill her condoms condoms were eventually uh, found in uh the condo and this enraged uh sahil even more because she knew that there was something going on well absolutely i mean <laughs> She's just not popping off in a condom for no reason, you know what I mean? Like, ooh, you know, that's another thing, dude. She's Iranian, they have tempers, so I mean, you, you gotta watch that international love right there. I mean, coming from you know, she didn't grow up in the United States, so she's got probably she's raised a different way, man. That's for sure. Yeah, she's definitely got. She definitely praises a different um, God that McNair does. If McNair, if they believed in that, she, she probably, uh, she, she didn't think the same way that McNair did. Mm -hmm. So then Leah, she's a second mistress. Um, 
and all that uh, other fun stuff. McNair was having fun with both of them, and he didn't care, obviously, about either one of their feelings because he was doing what he had to do. And plus his wife, too, so he was he was out getting his three women at the same time. Like, how do you do that? That's probably the ones that we know about. There might have been more. <laughs> yeah, no lie, huh? <laughs> so Sahil, Sahil, she's uh, she's falling apart because she's, she was head over heels over uh, Steve McNair, and we all know how that goes. Um, so now she starts having financial issues because now Sahil's roommate moves, and now Sahil can't afford um, the rent. So she asked McNair for some help, and McNair put a down payment on an upscale apartment for Sahil in, uh, right there in Tennessee. Nashville, and then McNair. This is where I think uh, it pissed uh, Sahil off. And McNair told her Sahil that she needs to be independent and pay for her own needs. Like, but he helped her in getting an apartment, so that was already a huge step right there. Mm-hmm. But he told her that he told her that she needs to start paying for her own stuff. Uh, probably pissed her off because she was like, "Why can't you support me the way you used to, or whatever?" Now she's like, oh, he's after the other chick and he's going to leave me. So she's starting to get mad and now she's really getting enraged. Mm-hmm. So now fast forward time to July 2nd, July 2nd, 2009. In 2000, yeah, July 2009, McNair was on the date night with Sahil Kazami. That's remember Sahil Kazami. That's the full name right there. Everything was going good until police pulled uh, both of them over and McNair um, quick on his feet remembered that he had a friend uh, a taxi driving friend and he called him before police arrived and he he was able to escape the scene before police uh started like police and media got all over him for being uh with another woman outside of his wife so he was he was a sneaky little fella smart (laughs) right so he avoided that that conflict right there and then Sahil was eventually charged with a DUI and oh. um, taken. She, so he left her out the hang. Yeah. <laughs> That's cold-blooded, man. He left her. He had no choice. He was. He probably uh, dropped some money on her or something. I don't know, man. But here's he's where like, I think he made. He's huh? like, if you or me, it's you. <laughs> I'm out of here. My name, oh. my name is bigger than yours. Exactly. <laughs> you know who I am? I'm Steven there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably how it played out. So he left and then she got charged with a DUI. <laughs> so then McNair, not to be so obvious, goes to the jail, goes to the police station and uh, pays for the bail. He gets he gets us a hill Kazami out. Okay. While McNair was having a great time being a while he was having a great time being a hoe, Sahil was having so what Sahil was turning into a demon witch. Dave and Buster's management took her outraging behavior into notice. Sahil would meet with a rather large black man, not Steve McNair. The guy's name, this guy's name, uh, there's no denying it. He hasn't come out. Nobody's come out in his defense. So this guy's obviously guilty for what he did in the story. His name is Andrew Gilliam. Um, And so he was the one that met up with uh, Sahil in a parking lot of Dave and Buster's. And... uh, Fast forward time, I think a day later, July 3rd, um, Sahil meets with uh, with him in the, her apartment that Steve McNair uh, helped her get, and they start negotiating about a gun. So then he returns when he with the gun and he sells the same gun. He sells a gun, a handgun to her for a hundred dollars. A hundred dollars. Yeah, a hundred dollars for a gun. So now she's really uh, she's really out to get Steve McNair. <clears throat> And so at the, that same night, 
Um, so Hill goes into Dave and Buster's to let the management know that she can't finish her shift. Remember, the management is already on her, and uh, they're they're worried about her. And she just basically probably tries to play it play it off that she's sick or she she needs to go and get go to the hospital. Whatever she did, she uh, she was able to leave early. Mm-hmm. So this is where things. Uh, Things, this is this is it right here. So it was a hundred dollar purchase for that gun, um, and Dave Buster's and all that good stuff. And then July third arrives, and McNair leaves early that morning to open up his restaurant. This was after uh, after Sahil had purchased the gun. So McNair he leaves early, and he's actually spent the night with Leah that that night. So July second going to July third, he's spending a night with Leah. So that same night, July second. Um, so Hill purchased the gun and did all that behind Steve McNair's uh, bag. So then when he leaves, he goes and opens up the restaurant. And on that same night at Dave and Buster's, the shift manager had asked uh, Sahil if everything was going good again, just checking up on her. And then this is where uh, Sahil told her, told the manager that um, her life had gone to shit with the DUI charges and uh, yeah, and on and on and on. Everything was just falling apart for her. And uh, then the manager brought up uh, Steve McNair's divorce and then Sahil kind of rolled her eyes and then she kind of repeated to him. She was like, my life's gone to shit. I don't want to talk about it no more. And then so then she finally leaves that night um, at 10.07 p.m. on July 3rd. So Kazami is off work and it's 10.30 p.m. She texted Steve McNair about getting together at the condo. McNair said, no, his kids aren't going to bed anytime soon. Kazemi said, okay, the condo is open. McNair, McNair would finally arrive to the condo at some point that morning from July 3rd to July 4th. Okay. Um, Sahil then takes out the gun and unloads four shots. One in McNair's head, two in his chest. And one, the final shot, um, putting her own life at an end, she um, committed suicide. So that's a double homicide right there. That's how Steve McNair's uh, life came to an end from July 3rd to July 4th. And from anywhere from one o'clock in the morning to, uh, I wanna say seven seven in the morning, that's when uh, Steve McNair's life came to an end. Damn, okay, so the only thing that I remember from that time period was the fact that they kept showing the picture of him and that girl, um, on like this roller coaster ride. I don't know if it was down in uh in in um at a Disneyland or at Orlando, Florida, the Universal Studios. But they're showing them and the family didn't know anything about it. Like his wife and kids didn't know anything about her and they were surprised to know that they were like you said going on dates. I didn't know that either, but I just knew that the fact that they he was seeing her and then going public places with her, you know, she just wasn't a booty call. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then uh, the fact that, well, yeah, I'll get into something else after. But the, this and one other part, it's the only thing I, I knew from back then what happened to him because obviously it was tragic. Yeah, it was tragic. Um, so she she committed double homicide. I mean, get this. This is this is the one. This is the one thing that throws everybody off, including myself, and doing all the research that I've done, man. You no matter what you do, when you look up Steve McNair's uh, bio, any way you want to look up Steve McNair, this is where this is where the questions all boil up, and this is probably gonna drive you crazy why these questions arise. 
but nobody has answers to these all right okay. later later on that day which is july 4th later that day wayne i forget what the what the guy's name is but the guy's name is wayne um the guy that rented out the the condo to um steve mcnair the bachelor condo he walks in he walks in and he's been calling uh steve mcnair that whole entire day he's been calling him and no answer but then he goes to the condo and he sees mcnair's cars in the parking lot so then he walks in so Wayne walks into the, the condo and McNair and uh, Sahil are laying there lifeless in the living room on the couch and on the floor um, in awkward positions. So Wayne walks in, just walks right by, makes no notice of it. It doesn't doesn't think twice. Just He just keeps walking, goes to the fridge, grabs a beer, cracks it open. And as he's walking back to the to the living room, he then he finally notices that Steve McNair and uh, Sahil are both lifeless. And what does he do? He picks up a, a bullet shell and he puts it back down on the ground. And then he runs out and he call, he's panicking and he's calling everybody but the police. He calls three people and uh, one of he calls one of the three people is a judge and that judge is uh, Steve McNair's friend. So the judge shows up to Steve McNair's condo. And then that's when uh, the judge, Steve McNair's friend, calls the police. He's panicking. And then. Uh, And then the guy's name is Gaddy. The guy's name is Gaddy. He calls 911, does not tell 911 that Steve McNair is the guy that's uh, found dead on the floor. Soon after that, they concluded Sahil Kazami committed double homicide. McNair's body had twice the legal limit of alcohol, and he had only $6 in his pocket. McNair always had thousands of dollars in his pockets. Hmm. So okay, there was, I did that's, not know that. It kind of like throws you off, doesn't it? Yeah, because you would. Okay, yeah, because if that guy knows McNair and he knows that he's got the thousands of dollars usually on him, or at least a couple thousand, then he's gonna probably raid his wallet if he's stupid enough to pick up the, what do you call it, the bullet? You know, if I were the cops, I would te I would have tested the wallet for fingerprints to see if that if homeboy's fingerprints show up on his wallet. I don't see in a in a in a homicide like that sometimes there's very rare that when someone shoots themselves or shoots at somebody there's not that much blood usually the person bleeds a pretty pretty good pool of blood and for him to be shot three times especially in the head there should have been whether you walk in there at night or in the day you can see or smell the blood on on the person and for him to walk by, crack open a beer, and then come over and examine and be like, hey, this is a bullet, and then walk out and then not call the cops right away, that is some suspicious act, ass activity, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, where, that's where I was like, and the cops didn't question it. I don't think the cops questioned it because I couldn't find anything on there. Like, why did they let him go without questioning them? They just basically said, you know, she committed double homicide. And I'm thinking the guy used that same money um and pay the police off or something i don't know and uh, the guy's a judge too you got to think about the judge his friend he's a judge so did he pay the day go in on steve mcnair did they know his bank account like the, like what actually happened that's something that i couldn't find like that's one thing that that's kind of like the question that i i want i want answers to but i couldn't find it so the guy was a judge gilliam no 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 that was uh william Gil no no gilliam andrew gilliam was the guy that sold the gun oh he was the guy that, so the, the guy I, I, Okay, okay. So so but the guy that found the bodies, Wayne. Yeah, Wayne. So he was upstanding dude, right? Or supposed Yeah, for the most part, for the most part, he's the one that helped uh, McNair out and getting that bachelor pad and put the name the bachelor or the bachelor the condo in uh, in his own name to keep uh McNair away from the limelight. 
it was probably if you had to ask my opinion i think it was something to do with him knowing uh like i said mcnair's carrying the money and then the cops probably finding pretty good evidence right away when they try to either test the shells or look at the way the gun was in her hand not suspect him and and he kind of got away with it probably they probably didn't find out about the money till later you know what i mean so but that's still super suspicious i mean either way i would have investigated that at some point yeah and then this is another another uh twist okay um after after all this had happened um kazami's uh mom sahil sahil kazami's mom um and everybody around her knew that she wasn't a violent person and they knew that she had never purchased a gun before but they were wondering how she was able to execute um and shoot these bullets uh without like uh backing out of it because she wasn't that type of individual now i don't know if they're they're actually telling the truth just to cover her up or because they feel sorry for her she i don't know i don't know it's just you know i just had to throw that in there okay but you know Another note is uh, Sahil's boyfriend, the one that brought um, Sahil to the U.S. from Iran. The guy's name is uh, Keith Keith Norfley. Um, he was a rapper, inspiring rapper. He wanted to become a rapper um, in Florida, but then they moved to Nashville, and all that stuff happened with McNair. And uh, there was a song that was leaked about him talking about Steve. Uh, he didn't actually say Steve McNair, but he said that if anything like this ever happens again, he's grabbing the gun and he's unloading on them. He didn't mention any names, but you know, that was kind of suspicious of him. And that's what I uh, picked up on the story, man. Well, I do know one thing that happened after, the only other thing I knew that happened with the story afterwards was the fact that in Tennessee, they have a ring of honor at the stadium, right? And so, like, guys like Eddie George, other guys from the Houston Oilers organization, Warren Moon, others that have been put into the Ring of Honor. Um, When Steve McNair's Ring of Honor thing came, it was really weird because his wife was there. It was only a few years after he died. And it it didn't get too much fanfare. Like, usually, you know how you watch a game and they'll they'll, they'll be like, oh, so-and-so's number's getting retired or he's being honored at, at Dallas Cowboys Stadium or whatever. And we're not, we're not going to show the halftime. We're going to show the uh, fans that are watching locally their star get inducted into the uh, Ring of Honor or Hall of Fame. And they didn't do it do that for Steve. And and the fans that were there didn't know what to think because how he went out kind of changed everyone's perspective of him, whether it's right or wrong, as an athlete. You know, it's like like I think it was too fresh in people's minds when they did that, basically. Yeah, definitely. Like that one, like I used to look at Steve McNair before I read, read it and uh, heard about the, the story here, like how he was actually living his life. I used to look at Steve McNair like, no, Steve McNair seemed like he was a good guy. He seemed like he was all about his family. and all, But then all this st- other side stuff comes up. Like he opened up a restaurant. Yeah, that was good. But then he started having like side chicks and mistresses and all this other stuff and, you know, cheating on his wife and lying to his kids and all. And it made me uh, take a second look at Steve McNair. I was like, man, what? I I couldn't help it, man. Like, as I was writing these notes down, I was like, this dude was a straight hoe. He was a straight hoe. He was out to get his. He was greedy, selfish, man. So, I mean, yes, I feel bad that he passed away. He got killed and all that because no human deserves to die and all that. But, man, dude, like, when you don't mess with people's emotions like that. You don't mess with, especially women, and especially, like you said, Iranian women. Those women are crazy. You don't do that. Yeah, and, and here's one other uh, side piece to that is that let's just say he played his career in L.A., 
or he played in New York or he played in Miami. He played somewhere where it's more progressive, where people don't really think or judge their um, superstars for their conduct. Like you've seen several players. I mean, even right, let's go back to Kobe Bryant. Like he cheated on Vanessa back in the day, but he was quickly forgiven by the Laker fans. I mean, quickly forgiven and outside of Denver, you know what I mean? Like only in Denver was he held accountable, but a lot of people were like, well, a lot of NBA athletes do that, especially in LA. But the fact that McNair played in the Bible Belt, which is in, in Tennessee, is like one of the strongest Christian type family type supported faith in America and then Midwest region. It's kind of hard for you to get away with something like that, because look what happened to your boy too, Adrian Peterson. He, he you know, he, he went a little too abusive with a with a switch on his kid. And he was chastised where most people would be like, well, you kind of got to hit your kid. It was like a gray area where people kind of for a couple years, they just judged AP on him hitting his kid, which was mm-hmm. kind of unfair. And mm-hmm. so it's like the same thing with McNair. He got judged by his cheating and stuff. And it, even you said it kind of makes you feel a little bit different about him. Same with me. But uh, down in Tennessee, they take that a lot more aggressive. So where he would have got the accolades and the praise for taking to the Titans to their first Super Bowl and all this other good stuff. A lot of that gets forgotten because of the stuff he got himself into and the way he got killed. Yeah, it's just, isn't it mind blowing that for one, like, like let's say Russell Wilson, like later on down the road after he retires, like Russell Wilson, you could basically say people used to look at McNair the same way that we look at um, Russell Wilson, minus that McNair never doesn't have the ring, but he was close to getting the ring. People look at Russell Wilson like, no, he wouldn't do that. The, the same way that we all look at Russell Wilson, that's the same way that people used to look at Steve McNair before all this stuff got leaked out. Like, dude, can you imagine, like, how many people out there got like burned their jerseys after they found out that Steve McNair was doing this to his family and all that? Mm-hmm. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. It just blew my mind. I was like, man, this guy was a player, but he was a hoe at the same time. <laughs> yeah, he was. But um, the reason that, like, towards the, at the end of the story, the reason I said that he had uh, twice the alcohol limit um, in his body um, and only $6 in his pocket was because he always needed that. He always needed to feel like he had a bunch of money. And um, they started suspecting that he was starting to get depressed, which is why he had the double limit, twice the limit of alcohol in his body. Um, so he was either getting depressed, he was stressed. That's something else that they didn't get. Like, that's another question that I wanted to know, but, you know, that, that answer I'll never get. Um, so he only had $6. Maybe the guy did set him up, but maybe he was going into depression. You know, that's just something that we're never going to find out. That's true. That is very true. Man, it was a good story, though, man. Again, like I, I knew of mostly just of a couple of things after his death, but mostly it was his career. I followed from almost from start to finish. So, but it was interesting. I didn't know about his college stuff and all this stuff about the women and herself. I mean, wow, dude. I mean, good story. Two side, two side chicks and a wife. <laughs> it's hard to just have a wife, let alone a side chick, let alone a second side chick. All that money that he made in his career, that six years, $50 million, he had a lot of money that he was spending on all the wrong things. Absolutely. Man. Well, this has been episode two, Carlos. Do you have anything else to add to the story or finish up on it? Stay loyal to your family. That's all I got to say. Unless your, unless your family doesn't show loyalty, stay loyal to them. I agree. If, uh, if you're not ready to be married and you want to play that single life, do it all you want. But uh, when you do settle down, try to try to limit the amount of side chicks. That'd be my my good advice. Just don't have any side chicks because if you get one of them pregnant, 
It's over bend over. Oh yeah, <laughs> then you will be bending over for the uh, lawyer. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> for yours and for hers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this has been episode two of Out of Bounds with Carlos and Todd Fox. This is. Uh, we look forward to the next episode, and hopefully you enjoyed. Let us know how we did. You got it, Carlos. Hmm? That's it. All right, and we're out. <laughs>